0: welcome to the workplace forward podcast with your host executive coach tegan travato founder and ceo of bright arrow coaching are you a perpetually busy always overstretched leader or executive who feels there's never time to keep up with leadership trends in an always changing landscape much less self-care workplace forward will help you overcome both challenges and gain peace of mind Through Tegan's conversations with executives, experts, authors, and innovators about their leadership journeys, you'll get quick hits of two things you need the most, essential insights to help navigate the future workplace, and best practices on the more human side of leadership, so you're empowered to take care of yourself while leading others. Enjoy some well-deserved time for yourself to learn and recharge. Let's get started with today's guest. Tegan, take it away. Today we have Sue Bevan Baggett on the podcast. Sue
1: has served as a global innovation leader for Procter & Gamble, creating business building initiatives for brands such as Pantene, Head & Shoulder, CoverGirl, and Pampers. In her second chapter, she worked for a boutique consulting firm specializing in in in-depth market research and innovation. And in 2014, she began her third chapter where she founded her own business, Power Within Consulting, to help her clients connect with the deep human insights required to create successful businesses and innovation strategies. In 2016, Sue's career took an unexpected and interesting twist when she accidentally became an angel investor, startup advisor, and board member. Her journey has helped her discover the power of deep human connection to drive impactful leadership and innovation success. Today, Sue is highly involved in driving positive change through the entrepreneurial ecosystem, as well as strategic philanthropic movements consistent with her mission to empower positive impact through connection and innovation. And we're going to learn all about that mission today. Sue, welcome to the podcast.
2: Thanks so much for having me. Delighted to be here.
1: Yeah. Listen, I want to go right in on this. How did you accidentally become an angel investor this podcast is for leaders and, you know, often leaders will step into uh, consulting, angel investing, advising, board work. So, of course, I'm sure a lot of ears perked up on the, how did you accidentally become an angel investor? <laughs> Give us the journey.
2: <laughs> yes, if you had asked me about seven years ago if, if I would be an angel investor, I probably would have laughed at you. Um, it was the furthest thing from my mind. And I call myself an accidental angel because, uh, you know, I was doing some work at the University of Cincinnati, some strategy work with one of their boards, not the main board of trustees, but a, an alternate board that had members from um, academia and industry in the community. And during that work, I met a guy by the name of Tony Shipley, who was the head of Queen City Angels, which was our regional angel group. that had been around for about 18 years or so at that point he liked what i did and said hey our angel group could use a strategy refresh would you help us so queen city angel started out as a client of mine and before doing that work i had you know a little inkling about angel investing but i thought it was all about the all about the investing part all about the money i thought the people that did angel investing was all about the returns and you know you had to have this incredible financial background etc But as I delved into doing the insight work for the strategy project with them, I learned that angel investing is about a lot more than than just the returns. If all you want to do is make money, there are a lot easier ways to do that than become an angel investor. The people involved in it—it it was really a, a strong community. I mean, yes, they wanted returns, but that helps it be an evergreen process. What they really wanted was to help their community, help startups grow and thrive in their community, create jobs, create change—you know, support economic development. Um, they also saw it as a way of giving back. You know, using their experience and skills. A lot of angels are formerly successful folks in corporations, but also, you know, formally entrepreneurs themselves, and, and they have a lot of advice and coaching and things to offer and in addition to the capital that they they provide. Oh, and then it's just a really great way of keeping up to date with the latest innovations, uh, stimulating everything, because you you meet all these entrepreneurs that are doing phenomenal things. Uh, so that was one thing that interests me in terms of oh, it's a lot more than what I what I thought. And when you do it in a group, It's a situation where, you know, you don't have to know everything yourself, right? You can use the power of the group. So there was a lot more to to angel investing than I thought. Also, I kind of imagined angel investors as individuals, you know, like the people you see on Shark Tank and they know it all and they do it all. But this was um, angel investing in the context of a group. And so you were able to leverage the experience of the group to make decisions about which companies to invest in and things like that. But the thing that really put me over the edge is when I understood how little funding goes to female-founded companies. When I did this work, I discovered that only about 2% of all venture capital goes to female founders. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. Who could believe that 50% of the population has only 2% of the ideas worth backing and growing as companies? And I just... And Tony believed... uh, the head of Queen City Angels, Tony believed that they weren't making the best decisions because they didn't have enough diversity on the investor side. And that was probably meaning they weren't attracting, you know, these diverse founders that had some really great ideas. And so they picked diversity, equity, inclusion as one of the key strategy pillars coming out of that work. And Tony invited me to get involved and help them build that out Mm, through that. Yeah. And then he, uh, He connected me with a woman by the name of Alicia Robb. She's a senior Kaufman Fellow, had done a lot of work researching challenges for women's access to capital. And she was doing a pilot fund to try to train more women to get involved in angel investing. And that pilot fund was called Rising Tide. So at the end of 2015, I was (laughs) not at all involved. And by 2016, I had joined both Queen City Angels locally and Alicia's pilot run nationally. And then by the end of uh, 2016, um, Alicia invited me to be a part of her follow-on fund called the Next Wave Impact Fund. And that is a fund that invests in high-growth companies, but that have a positive social environmental impact at the core, so an impact investing fund. So I kind of laughed at Alicia (laughs) when she invited me to be a part of that. But she, you know, I said, why would you want somebody with only one year of experience on your investment committee? But she said, you know, I've seen you this last year, you're really into growing and learning. And she said, you have a different background. You know, you don't have a finance background, you have an innovation background. And she said, I think that's a good compliment to the other women I'm asking to be a part of this team There were nine of us in total. And she said, that's good. And then the other thing she said is, you live in the Midwest. (laughs) And she said, and I don't believe that all the great ideas come from the coasts, which is where a lot of where the
1: angel. Nice. So it is not surprising to me that not only did you enter angel investing, but that you then became an innovator in it (laughs) and helped to innovate the space. And Shout out to Tony for his awareness and just kind of reflection. That's refreshing. And I have a feeling that just you sharing his journey a little bit with us is is going to inspire some listeners too, to really yeah. more broadly across all of our spaces.
2: Yeah. So Tony himself was an exited tech entrepreneur. And by the time I met him, you know, he was Probably early 70s, you know, older white guy. And he he had been um, building his angel investing group mostly by going out to, you know, people he knew. And it's not that he hadn't tried to recruit a more diverse group of investors. He just was not going about it the right way. So what I was able, so what I was able to do was help him gain some insights around the barriers to angel investing for, you know, for women, for people of color. And there were four main things. One, awareness of the asset class. It just wasn't something that everyone's aware of. And then even when you become aware of it, like me, you might have a lot of misconceptions or myths or, you know, lack of understanding. So education is the second barrier. Risk tolerance is the third one. So angel investing is high risk, high return. And, you know, If you're still new in overall investing, it's not something you want to jump into. It's a complement to a balanced portfolio of other types of investing. And women tend to be a little less risk tolerant than men in investing overall. So that was a barrier. And then the final one was respect. There were women who said, you know, will my voice be respected? If I come into a group, will it be respected? Especially women who may have battled that (laughs) during their careers around, you know, having their voice heard and, and understood. So, right. Yeah. Um, so those were the four barriers. And then we were able to take those and 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 come up with some innovative ways to help people step into it. You know, we created a starter tier for Creed City Angels to invite more. people. We did more educational outreach and awareness building. We created a starter tier to make a way to get to, to step into it. That was a little less risky and, you know, help build comfort and things like that.
1: Great. Love it. What a journey. Yeah. And totally aligns to your mission to empower positive impact through connection and innovation. So in line with that, too, when you and I were talking prior to this podcast recording, one of the things you shared that you loved about the angel investing space was the opportunity to kind of shift the entrepreneurial ecosystem and to really influence leadership more broadly by getting to these leaders and these organizations in an earlier stage. So tell us a little bit about that and
2: and what's behind that thinking for you. In my consulting work, I had worked predominantly with, you know, larger organizations and, you know, I have done work in the area of, you know, helping them with their diversity, equity, inclusion as well as their innovation because a lot of them recognize the connection between those two. I mean, the, really the strongest innovation teams that I ever had the opportunity to work for were the most diverse teams, right? And so I had done work with corporations about that, but taking a a large corporation and shifting their their culture is sometimes challenging. It takes a lot of time. And what I saw with startups is that an opportunity to, to start earlier, right, to look for the leaders that you'd like to see being successful in the future and getting behind them and helping them grow an inclusive culture, a mission-driven culture, and a successful culture right from the beginning. So I looked at it as a really kind of high leverage way to drive change that I would like to see in the world.
1: I love it. I love it. It's so right. And what I most love about what you're saying is that with investment, you can correct me if I'm wrong, this is my outsider view. It seems like we are often driving for the profit. And the way you're describing the work you all are doing is that you are tending to the humanness, the leadership development, the DEI, the value of the diversity and inclusion in their work. And we don't always hear that part about startups. We hear like the grindy, techie, turn and burny, you know, kind of side of things and not necessarily the human side. So I really love that you're calling that out here.
2: Yeah, and actually, you know, investors look really hard at the team, at the people who are leading the startups and their, you know, capabilities as leaders, not only how they present initially, but also their willingness to grow and evolve as leaders because the needs of the leadership change as the startup goes through different stages. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so we really look for people who, you know, who have that growth mindset, who have that grit or persistence as demonstrated by some of their you know historical experiences but also who are coachable right who know how to take in coaching from their investors from their customers from their employees and and grow with that coaching yes wonderful wonderful so we have as you and i
1: discussed previously we are really in such a time of ambiguity volatility you know the last couple of years have brought a series of full stops and accelerations in our markets and in our businesses. And given what you do, and not just in your consulting, but also in the angel investing, what are you seeing as emerging for leaders that's more important now than ever as a result of that ambiguity and volatility?
2: Yeah. So one of the things that was very interesting is right at the start of the pandemic, when we didn't know what was going to <laughs> happen with the world, right. both of the angel investing groups that I was a part of, we took a little bit of a brief pause in terms of investing in new companies, because we wanted to support the companies that we had and make sure that they were going to, to be successful. Right. And you know the dynamics that happened, they slowed some companies down, they accelerated others. It was really interesting to see you, know, you really could see the strong leaders in their ability to kind of be agile in their response to the pandemic. So I saw like the whole spectrum, folks who immediately had to streamline their force because they recognized they needed to do that and focus on the most important things to keep their business alive during that and then prepare themselves for, you know, for the other side. You saw others who they recognized the pandemic as an opportunity to actually drive forward and drive further. And they doubled down um, on what they had to offer because they knew that they had value that would help others get through the pandemic. Um, And then we even saw some that pivoted and created new products to support the needs of their customers at that time. So it was was a very interesting time to watch the dynamics of of these leaders. A lot of them proved to be very, very resilient. and That was very impressive. What have you seen
1: leaders do when it comes to the tending to the humanness you you talked with me privately about the need to empathize with employees as much as we do our customers
2: so tell our listeners more about that thinking hmm. so I think that's something that I learned even you know before I got into the angel investing and now I see it as even stronger need with some of these small organizations for the most part in my in my corporate experience, I had some you know really strong leaders that I could look up to and 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 learn from but I had. One leader in particular that maybe we didn't see idle <laughs> and had some different values as far as people were concerned. And I had recently been promoted and was working for this new leader, and I wanted to get 360 feedback from my people about how I was doing as a leader because in my mind, getting that deep connection with your people as a leader, you're you know, you're serving the people under you, they're serving you. You can't succeed without helping them succeed, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's like you care too much about your people. I'm like, what? Mm. You can't care too much about your people. You know, when you're in any kind of leadership position, your success depends on your people's success. And so he didn't want me to get the 360 feedback. I said, I'm getting it anyhow, because (laughs) I didn't work with that. Yeah. And I think, you know, empathizing with your people is important. You need to understand what's important to them, right? What are their aspirations and goals and how does their role in your organization fit with that? How does it enable them to achieve those aspirations and goals? And if you don't have those conversations, you're not going to understand that. And then they're going to face challenges, right? They're going to face challenges inside work, outside work, and you need to be able to empathize with what they're facing. And then as a leader, how do you help them overcome those challenges, fulfill the role that you need them to fulfill, and ultimately, you know, be successful? And, you know, I see this now with within the startups, and the startups are often, you know, initially smaller organizations, and they rely very heavily on each individual that's a part of their team. So that need for that human connection and that empathy is really important to keep the team, you know, moving in the right direction. To not burn out. I mean, you say you hear stories about startups. You know, that's not the way to have a successful startup. The way to have right. a yeah, burn <laughs>
1: out while you're trying to launch your product. Bad idea, right? But bad, it happens bad. all the time.
2: Yeah, but it ha- it happens all the time. But the yeah. best leaders I've seen in the startup ecosystem recognize that yes, there's times where you have to double down and sprint forward, but then you also have to build in time to rebuild energy, to recover, right? So the ones that I admire are the ones that recognize it's a marathon, not a sprint, and that you need to train and you need to refresh and you need to you need to re-energize. So those things are all very important in the starting. And then as the company grows, you know, again, you really need to be connected with people to understand which people in your organization are growing with you. Are they growing as leaders? Can you elevate their responsibility, give them more? Which people in the organization like the role they have and want to stay in that and you need to build around them. And if you don't have that, that human connection, that empathy, it's very hard to see how the pieces will fit together, especially as you start going into this accelerated growth. Yeah. I know one of the things you do
1: in your consulting practice is to help companies create strategies and innovation based on customer insight. And what was notable to me is that you also value employee insights in your work. And I, and I don't think that that's always the case in the insights world, right? So yeah. what are you seeing right now that helps organizations do
2: a better job of gaining employee insight? I think it's really important. Again, I'm going to go back to the, the human connection, right? People are surveyed out. So just doing a bunch of employees surveys alone is mm. not going to get that depth of connection that you need, right? So I'm not saying don't do surveys. I'm right. saying in addition to surveys, yeah. <laughs> you need to have you know real authentic conversations with people in the organization things and conversations that cut through the hierarchy, right? You need to be in touch with with your employees at at all levels to really understand what's going on. And it's important to understand your employees as, as people, as humans themselves, you know, kind of some of the things we were talking about before, their goals, their aspirations. But they also get tremendous insight on your customers that you, as a leader, may not see, right? Especially like employees that are on the front lines with sales on customer or on the front lines with marketing or depending upon, you know, your depending upon your industry they're you know they're just out there picking up on things that you you know that you may not be so you know employee insights i think are are very very important you know holistically to the strength of an organization to you know provide insight to the leaders as well as you know how well that organization's current business strategy or innovation strategy is playing out for them
1: When it comes to particular technology that's helping us have deeper relationships, I read something about Cloverleaf, which is, I think you are, are you an angel investor or on their board?
2: Yes. Um, Yes. Tell us about what they're doing. Their
1: work sounded super fascinating. And I know you're very passionate about them based on everything I read. Um, (laughs) And it's really unique what they've done. So to me, it sounds like that's one of those tools we could be using to gain employee insights, but also to build relationships, so tell our listeners about that.
2: So Darren and Kirsten are the co-founders of, of Cloverleaf, and I met them actually, you know, way before investing them. I met them at one of the, our local accelerator pitch practices. And one of the ways that angels give back is by, you know, volunteering time to coach and mentor entrepreneurs, even if we don't ultimately invest in them, because that's a way of growing the whole ecosystem. So I met Darren and Kirsten, and they were, you know, very passionate about the importance of building strong human connection and relationships and building thriving teams. And of course, with my innovation background, I'm like, yes, those are important. So I really liked the fundamental focus of what they were doing with Cloverleaf, thought they had some unique insight around having a technology platform that would complement the interpersonal discussions and relationships that would help people understand themselves better, understand each other better. And then create those connections. And the way that they do that is they use a lot of established assessments, things people are familiar with, you know, your Myers-Briggs and your Finders and your DISC and, you know, Enneagram and things like that. But oftentimes those have been used as single assessments and people do like a big offsite, oh, let's learn about each other's Enneagram. and then the information goes in a file drawer and and it doesn't allow us to really benefit on a day-to-day basis. So what they did is they built a technology platform that brings all of those assessments into the forefront of the things that we're doing every day. So you can get insights about yourself and about your teammates in the flow of your work. And those kind of bite-sized insights help Build relationships and build teams over time in the, in the flow work without having to do you know a big offsite or whatever. So they're all about unleashing people. That's their mission: unleashing people to do their best work with the insights you get about yourself and others, and building thriving teams. Because our brains are all wired a little differently, right? People or are, are to... yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I agree. So, <laughs> so think of Cloverleaf as being able to reveal a little bit of that brain wiring, right? And doing it not just through one assessment, but through multiple assessments. Think of it as the difference between a single mirror and a you know 360 mirror. So you learn more about how you're wired. And then if you're on my team, Tegan, I learn more about how your brain's wired. And that lets us appreciate each other's differences and communicate and build relationships That make that differences synergistic rather than something that is a barrier between us.
1: I love it. What comes up for me as you describe that is on the leadership side, we aren't constantly or regularly thinking about how our people are wired. We only will stop and pause to think about that if we don't get what we want from an employee, right? Or we have a problem or we hit a (laughs) roadblock or the team is malfunctioning or whatever, right? It's usually problem related and we react by going, okay. Why is he or he having an emotional response to this directive or this suggestion? What you are suggesting Cloverleaf does instead is keeps it in the front of our mind so that we can proactively engage based on those insights rather than reflecting to try to figure out why we didn't get what we want.
2: Right. Right, right. So, and, and it yeah, and it integrates into the tools that people use every day. It can integrate into you know your email or your Slack channel or whatever it is. So, like if I had a meeting coming up with you today, and we were both on Cloverleaf, I'd get an insight about you right before I meet with you to help me understand how a little bit better how you think. Teams use a lot of uh, human coaching to help them through some of these, and that's great. And it's wonderful. I mean, human coaching is wonderful, but it's not something companies can afford to bring in a coach Mm -hmm. on scale. It's just difficult. So Cloverleaf tries to be a complement to human coaching by providing kind of automated coaching for everyone that complements human coaching. In fact, we partner with coaches to provide a tool for them to stay connected with their clients in between some of those you know, larger interventions that they might do. And as a compliment to, for example, if they're executive coaching the leader, you know, this is a way to bring, you know, the team together. And I've even used it in my consulting practice when I have to get a diverse group of people getting to know each other very quickly and, you know, tackling a task. And it's, it's helped me from that standpoint.
1: Oh, I bet it has. Okay, I'm, I'm nerding out on this. We'll be sure to include Cloverleaf a link to their products because I think it's really fascinating. I think our listeners will enjoy it. So pivoting a little bit here, Sue, when you kind of reflect across your client list and what are you seeing employees ask of their employers or want from their employers that seems different or new or amplified maybe as a result of the, the changes over the last few years?
2: So I think one of the things that employees are asking for is more freedom and flexibility to deliver the results their businesses need, but to do it in a more flexible way that fits in around their lives and how they live their lives. Um, and I think this is something that what people were desiring before the pandemic, but the pandemic just heightened how powerful it is when you're able to have some of that flexibility and why it's so you know can be so important. So I think employers really need to to take that to heart. I think initially, you know, everybody was forced to have people working from home. And I think there's pros and cons to that. Um, But I think now that employees have gotten a taste of some more freedom and flexibility and autonomy for doing their job, some of them are not going to want to give that up because, I mean, those that believe that they can still deliver what's needed with that flexibility, they're not going to want to give that up. And what are you saying the leaders struggle
1: with on the other side of that? Maybe not
2: that specifically,
1: but just even more generally, where are the struggles in the leadership space at the moment?
2: So I think some leaders used to kind of, or, or got used to sort of managing by walking around, right? They had these sort of informal touch points that they could do with people and that helped them feel like a little more in control. So flipping the switch to more remote or hybrid teams takes that away from leaders. So they have to grow. (laughs) They have to learn other ways of being effective in their roles. And I think there are some leaders who have been able to adapt to that. You know, those who had really strong relationships already with their employees, I think they've been able to adapt. And those who maybe had more of the transactional relationships with their people versus the deep, empathetic connections with their people, they're the ones who are struggling with that because they suddenly have to, they have to change the way they've been managing and leading people. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense.
1: What do you think these leaders need to be doing in their personal lives to positively impact how they lead at work? Oh, that's
2: a great question. Well, first of all, I think they need to be cognizant of the stress of the things that have happened affect them. First, right? So they need to take care of themselves first, make sure that they're showing up as the best version of themselves as a leader. And they need to recognize that, you know, some of that stress has affected their employees. So I think just acknowledging that challenge, and that's part of empathy, right? Is acknowledging the experience of others and really appreciating that experience. So to me, that's a a first step. So for themselves and for the people that they're working with. I think that's that's a first step in what they need to to do differently. The second part that you mentioned is really hard. And I want
1: listeners to know that, which is acknowledging and appreciating the effect it's had on other people. When you say it, it's like, yes, of course. But what I also see, and I don't know if you see this too, but when we watch leaders try to put that into practice, it's awkward sometimes, right? That's where that empathy comes back in. We have to grow that skill. But I've seen leaders who want to do that and their hearts, like they kind of, intuitively know that's what they need to do with their people, but it's not a practice we've always done. It's sort of merged the personal and work together quite a bit. Yeah. So, and it's a fine line too, where we want to step as leaders and how involved we want to be in knowing some of the details and story. But I think I'm just taken aback by, I love number one, yes, leaders, please take care of yourselves first. And they often don't, right? But then number two, like, how do you reflect that back to your own people? It's sometimes harder than we think, right?
2: Yeah, no, I agree. I think that leaders can admit that they're not, that, you know, if it, if they're going through a change and if they're not sure how best to support people, I think they can admit that and say, hey, you know, I recognize we're all going through things, but you know, how can I support you as a leader, right? Admit they don't know all the answers, and get coaching from their people, and you know it's going to be it might be different for different people in their organization in terms of what that support looks like, but they shouldn't be afraid to ask. I think far too often, you know, we set leaders up on this pedestal, or leaders feel like asking for help themselves is a weakness. And I see it as completely opposite. Yes. I see asking for help as a strength. I mean. Who can possibly do it all? We can't. We can't possibly do it all. No way. So, you know, I think leaders should feel very comfortable asking for help from their employees. Help, tell me what support looks like to you. And I think they should be asking for help for other leaders. I mean, they may know other leaders who have this as an outstanding strength or skill. I can learn from them. Smart. From them. Love that. So. Well, Sue, where can the listeners find you online?
1: Where should we go poking around to learn more about you?
2: So I, I would say I'm, I'm most strongly on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Um so looking at my LinkedIn profile and you know I'm happy to connect with folks if they uh they mention that they've heard us talk, I'd be happy to have them reach out to me and connect on on LinkedIn. You know, I also do have a website, uh, powerwithinconsulting.com. I'll admit it probably doesn't cover all the things that I do, but it's yeah. there and it's a way to it's a way to get. Connected.
1: Okay, great. We'll we'll be sure to include links for both of those places in the show notes for listeners. All right, so here's my big question I like to ask all of our guests. So, this podcast was created to discover the behaviors, practices, beliefs, and skills the future leader must possess so that they can successfully lead the systems that have changed and continue to change at warp speed. And to get your read on what's required of future leaders, just finish the
2: sentence. Leaders of the future will? Be more successful if they recognize the power of human connection in all Mm -hmm. aspects of their leadership. Wonderful. I love
1: it. Question, where do you think leaders miss the cues a lot of times?
2: Well, we've talked about it a little bit. I think, you know, in first of all, connecting with the people that they're leading, you know, making sure that they're developing strong connections there. The skills of emotional intelligence or EQ, empathy, even Mm -hmm. vulnerability, we were talking about a little bit about that, will be part of connecting with them. And um, and then some of those same skills with regard to connecting with their, their customers, the people that they're trying to serve with whatever their business does, whatever product or service, connecting really authentically with their customers will help them understand how to serve them better which is important in innovating and growing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then I would also say to their network, like we talked a little bit about it already. I don't know. I learned so much from the people that I interface with, talked about the growth I got within the context of angel investing. I learned from all the other folks who were more experienced than I was and that accelerated my growth. And I think that people underestimate the power that that human connection with your network can really help you grow. Yes.
1: Sue, thank you so much for sharing all of your insights. It's just been really a joy to hear your journey through corporate America, through angel investing, hearing about some of the the companies you've worked with. And it's a gift to our listeners to have someone of your experience and capacity who's sitting across so many organizations with such a view to share what you think is important for leaders now and in the future. So thank you so much
2: for sharing Mm -hmm. with us today. Oh, uh, well, thank you so much for giving me an opportunity and really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Workplace Forward podcast, where leaders and executives can stay ahead of the curve on emerging leadership ideas and self-care best practices. Guided by executive coach Tegan Travado and her expert guests. Please take 60 seconds to help others discover the Workplace Forward podcast by going to iTunes to subscribe, give five stars, and leave a comment. Want to learn more about Bright Arrow Coaching and leadership development? Visit the website at www.brightarrowcoaching.com. See you next time. And while you're filling your team's cups, remember to take care of yourself too.